to the BDXX podcast, let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, bringing you another special episode of our Change Makers Edition. While in the past, we've strictly interviewed researchers, academics, and PhDs in the field, we'll now also be bringing you interviews with founders, coaches, authors, and anyone else who dedicates themselves to helping us transform the way we live our relationships. Joanne Encarnacion is a health and wellness coach sharing a raw perspective of her personal journey through fitness, body image, parenting, and marriage. She refers to herself as a woman in progress and encourages others to re-examine life and the relationship with themselves as a constant, ever-changing progression towards not only self-acceptance, but self-admiration. On Instagram, she's known as GoFitJo with over 80,000 followers. And on her more recent account, Hella Married, she shares an important intimate look into the reality behind navigating the ups and downs of marriage. All right. With my horse voice and everything, here we are. <laughs> hello, hello. With Joe and Carnacion. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. So for those of our listeners who might not be familiar with you, also known as GoFit Joe. I'd love it if we could just kind of start out giving them a bit of your backstory and kind of having you tell us a bit about how you ended up where you are doing what you're doing today. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because I, I always like tell people, Go for Joe just came up by accident, truly. Um, I didn't have any intentions to become a blogger or an influencer or a health coach. When I started Go for Joe, it all started off from a hashtag. And it was really a way for me to document my own wellness journey and just sharing tidbits of how I was working through getting healthier and working through some of my mental health issues. When I started GoFitJoe's back in, well, when I started my fitness journey, it was back in 2013. And it was kind of this opportunity for me to just regain my life back. I was going through depression. I was feeling super anxious. And on paper, I had it all. I was working a full-time job at a startup company and had my two kids and married and all that jazz. And um, I was still really, really unhappy with the life that I was starting to lead. And it was mostly because I was becoming unhappy with the person I was becoming. I was becoming super overwhelmed with work and out of shape. I hadn't worked out a day in my life, in my adult life. The last time I'd worked out was like high school. And so I remember seeing on articles, one way to like heal from your mental health issues or to kind of cope with them was through healthy eating and exercise. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to give this a shot. And it was the scariest thing because it was something that I never really embarked on at all. And it was such a new adventure for me. And I started sharing tidbits of it on social media, mainly because at that time I had a large community of friends from photographers to startup and um, my hairstyling career. So it was like a wide range of different people that have just been in part of my life. And I just kind of wanted to come out and be like, here I am. I am doing this thing called fitness. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm feeling super depressed. And here's how I'm going to like get control of it. And it was a shock to a lot of people because they didn't know that I was depressed for 18 months. I hit it pretty well. 
And when I said that I was going through all this depression, it was, it was a shock to them. They were like, you have, quote unquote, you have it all. Why are you so unhappy? And I'm like, I'm unhappy because I don't like myself right now. I don't like the version I'm becoming and I want to fix that. So yeah, that's how that started. And I launched a blog in 2014, I believe. And that was just a way for me to get my writing out there and share more recipes and go more long form writing because Instagram is super short anyways. And then from there, I left the startup company and became a health and life coach. What was that hashtag? It was just GoFitJoe. G-O-F-I-T-J-O. Oh, you started your own hashtag. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I started the hashtag before I even had an Instagram account. Could you elaborate a bit on those mental health issues that you mentioned? Where do you think they stemmed from? You mentioned that concept of self and I don't like myself and maybe them coming from that and that being such a key part of our happiness. Yeah. I mean, when I think about where that all began, you know, I've always had... I guess, self-esteem issues or body image issues from when I was younger. Um, I had my first daughter at 21 and having her at 21, all you do as a young mom is focus on surviving and you focus on raising your family, really. And I was working a lot. I was also commuting. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't eating well. I wasn't exercising because I had no time to do it. And, um, you know, I began to like realize I'm just not doing the simple things of just self-care. And and self-care wasn't even a part of my language growing up. I mean, I, I'm, I'm Filipino-American, first generation born here. And my family never really had any values on healthy eating or exercise. And so it wasn't something that I embodied in a young age. It was actually the last thing to do. A lot of times in the Filipino culture, we're taught that taking care of yourself or putting yourself first is a selfish act. Mm. And so it was just something that I was like, well, that's not what I'm going to do. I've got my family. I've got my marriage. I've got my job. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put all those things before me. And when I started hitting this point of depression in 2000, what was that? 2011, probably, because it lasted for about 18 months before I decided to get my like shit together, ultimately. I remember having the same feelings of depression that I had when I was 15. And I just was so scared of having to go back on antidepressants and anxiety meds because I just did not want that life anymore for myself, especially as a mom. I just didn't want to be numb to the feelings of my own emotions. I mean, it was sad. There's moments where I was crying in the closet or there were moments where I was sitting on the couch and I was so much more focused on why, like I was so focused on trying to figure out why I was unhappy. And I remember seeing my kids playing in the living room and I couldn't even connect to their joy or happiness. And I'm like, God, something is wrong with me. I am feeling like shit ultimately. And I don't know why. And it wasn't until my daughter, my eldest daughter at the time was nine years old. She's 15 now. Her and I were getting ready for a Sunday, like family day. And she looks at me in the mirror and she's like, oh my God, mom, you're so beautiful. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm ugly and fat. And the look on her face was one I'll never forget because it was as if I ripped out that piece of truth. Here's the most like strong, beautiful woman I'm looking up to. And she's telling me she's ugly and fat. And so when she walked out of her room, that's when I realized, crap, I am, I'm becoming a version of myself that I never imagined myself to become. 
it wasn't because I was like physically out of shape. It was like I was mentally and emotionally out of shape. I was disconnected with myself. And it was just a feeling that was starting to seep into my family life, my career life and everything else. I refer to exercise as endorphin therapy. Mm. I'm a strong believer in being kind of for me. And I love to encourage other people kind of the number one, my most important medicine. I love that you touch on that and that importance. And I think that since you also mentioned kind of health and and diet and nutrition, how only now are we kind of getting to the point where doctors are considering what used to be the oldest form of medicine. Right. And for certain conditions can be extremely effective, more effective than these other medicines that help you a bit, but debilitate you in, in other ways. And so I'm so happy that we're finally getting back to that point where we can use these natural remedies that oftentimes can outperform the other ones. And I definitely heard you on the medication part. I remember when I was going through something and a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist described to me how for depression and these other anxiety medications, a lot of times what they enabled you to do is they lift your floor. Right. The floor is higher. You can't go as low. But what happens is that you can't go as high either. Mm -hmm. And I remember that the way that she described that to me was really enlightening. And I think that that's a really important thing to consider and that they can be an incredible tool for for short term or as a crutch or obviously in individual circumstances, but that we also need to consider these other types of medicine and lines of treatment. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I remember... Like, I remember the feelings of being 15 through 20. That was my longest stint of being on antidepressants. And I just did not want to go back. I just felt numb to the world. I mean, everything was like, I just had the most copacetic answer to everything. It was like, yeah, sure. mm -hmm, That's great. You know? And I just was like, wow, I think I'm happy, but I'm not really sure if I'm happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I just was like... Like, I'm not sad. I'm not sad. But that doesn't mean that you're happy necessarily. Right. Right. I just was like, I remember I I just felt like I was productive. I was a productive teenager, Mm -hmm. but I just didn't have the joy that I knew could have been on the other side of not being on antidepressants. And I just did not want to go back to that, especially as a mom. You kind of mentioning that teenager going back to your daughter, who's now a teenager, Yeah, that conversation, that moment that you mentioned is huge. And so I'm just kind of curious what your personal experience was being raised and how since that moment you've taken on that responsibility to your daughters to make that shift. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up, like watching my mom and it's funny now because I think about sometimes the things that I I even say is like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. Oh my God, life is so hard. And I'm like, this is the narrative my mom would say about life, you know? (laughs) Growing up is just slowly becoming more and more of your parents. I know it's like crazy, but you know, that's the, that's the thing. I think I remember thinking to myself, my mom had specific narratives of how she chose to live her life or specific narratives about her life. And when I experienced that moment with my daughter, I was like, I don't want to be my mom. I don't want to have these narratives about my body or myself that my kids are going to take on because kids mirror you as parents. They really watch you. They observe you. They, they soak everything in. And I remember thinking to myself, if my daughter was to say something negative about her body, how am I going to be the parent that 
guides her or encourages her out of that if I'm saying negative things about my body or if I have a negative perception of myself. And uh, from that moment on, I was like, all right, Joe, you've got to check what you say. You've got to be a model, be an example. And I'm not going to get everything perfect. I mean, I'm a mom. I'm also human. So, you know, like there isn't any kind of perfection here, but for the most part, I'm, I'm going to be mindful. I'm going to be mindful of the conversations I'm having about myself around this house. And one of the things that I think I love so much that has come from my own inner work and really kind of being a lot more intentional about how I speak about myself or, you know, the love that I give to myself is the ways in which my kids view themselves. My little one, she runs around in her underwear and she wears a silk robe. And I love it because she's just like, this is just my body, whatever. Or sometimes, you know, I get ready naked and my daughters will walk in and I'm like completely butt naked and we're just having a conversation. And I think it's so beautiful because there's no body shame. There isn't like a oh my God, I've got to cover myself up because what are my kids going to think? Part of me is like, well, they're going to have these body parts too. So I might as well just embrace it as I am so that they can know that they can embrace themselves as they are. My daughter now, she's 15. And, you know, since then I haven't actually really heard her say a lick of something negative about her body, which I think is amazing. And I'm pretty sure she has some things that she doesn't like about herself, which I remember we were sitting on, um, the kitchen table. And I asked her just out of curiosity, what are kids saying in your school, especially girls about what they don't like about their bodies? And she would tell me, you know, obviously the weight and their hair, the freckles on their face. And I asked her, I said, what is it that you don't like about your body? Do you have something you don't like? She was like, well, I don't like my wrists. And I was like, I love it. Oh, okay. That's an interesting (laughs) thing. I go, why don't you like your wrist? She goes, they're just too, they're skinny. But I was like, they're your wrists. It's only bone and skin there. So that's probably going to be skinny regardless. And, you know, in that moment, I was like, oh, God, I love that. So then I turned to my nine-year-old and I asked her the same thing. She was like, I love myself. I was like, go for it, sister. (laughs) That is amazing. Yeah. That's truly special. Leading up to this conversation about body positivity and body image, especially kind of in, in youth. And I thought back to I feel very lucky that I've surrounded myself by people who have very healthy body images and very healthy relationship with food, probably partially due to the fact that I was an athlete for Mm -hmm. most of my life and Mm -hmm. through college. But I do think back to people that I knew in middle school, and I remember very clearly a couple friends who had a very much not healthy relationship with food, and that's at what, 12 to 14 years old? Yeah. And I just try and imagine now if somebody who was 12 to 14 years old told me that they, I'd be like, get out, right. get away from them, <laughs> don't talk to them. Yeah, like, Give me their number. I'm going to call them. Yeah. We're going to have a little sit down chat. But that's the reality is right. that this can kind of seep into our culture and our subconscious and design and define the way that we use language and the way that we talk about other people and therefore the way that we talk about ourselves. And so is kind of something that is never too early to start dealing with. And a lot of it actually is shaped 
early on and just becomes harder to make changes later on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember like one of the things and that I do with my life coaching clients, especially when it relates to like body image is I always ask them, when is the first time that somebody had told you that your body was either different or there was something that was unlikable about your body? Mm-hmm. When did somebody point that out the first time mm-hmm. that you had something negative about your body? And you know, the funny thing is probably about 75% of them will tell me it happens in the home. Mm-hmm. by, you know, mm-hmm. another another female figure in their life or just some kind of parent. And, you know, I have to say, like, that was the same experience for me. And I remember thinking, well, my parents don't know any better. They grew up in a world and a culture and a generation where the body ideals were only maybe like a handful of what was beautiful and what was the ideal body type. And we're so lucky now to be in a culture and a society where we're actually seeing a lot more body diversity, different skin color, different shapes. And it gives everybody an opportunity to kind of walk through the door of learning how to love themselves. They have more access to seeing more people who look like them, mm-hmm. which I think is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I remember a lot of my clients, they've dealt with those narratives from when they were a child. For the parents listening out there, just be mindful about what you say because they will affect people. As you mentioned that you can't be what you can't see and today we're fortunate enough to have more representation and a very different movement in the body space than we've had in the past Man, decades. Yep, I decades. don't even know. There were some pretty great ones back. And, you know, you always see the paintings and oh, the statues yeah. mm-hmm. from before. And you're like, whatever what happened? happened to this? Where did we go wrong? But going off of that, I'd love to know if you would consider media in general, but more focused towards social media as more beneficial or more damaging? Hmm. That's a tough question. I think it can be both, depending on what you digest and consume as a person. There are still a lot of real people out there sharing their real lives and the intricacies of their lives and the intimate details, which to me, I'm like, you know what, if there are those people out there modeling real life, then subscribe to that. If there are people who are making you feel like crap about yourself because maybe their lives look a little bit more curated and... um, superficial. Those are people that you don't want to follow. So I think it's twofold. I think the reason why maybe my approach or perspective on social media is a little bit more unique is because I don't have so much emotional ties to it. Even though I'm on social media, I always just kind of remind myself that I know I'm posting about my day-to-day highlight reel, R-E-A-L. So if I'm highlighting the reel, then I'm hoping that people will also be highlighting the reel and that's what I'm getting back. And I also think too, I don't know, I I still think of social media as what it's traditionally used for. It's media where we get social with and we're having conversations. Um, And we should be stemming up conversations that can create change if that's what we want. So didn't really quite answer that, but I think it's, uh, (laughs) I think it could be good or bad, really depending on how we see it. And I think one of the challenges is as a person consuming on social media, you really just have to be mindful of what you're consuming. That's it. That's all that we can do. Yeah, I would wonder if you might have any advice for people as to what a healthy versus unhealthy relationship might be with media and how to navigate that and check yourself. I mean, one of the biggest things that I would say is if it's not making you feel good, if you're scrolling through your social media and all of a sudden it's triggering some sort of negative reaction to you, then get off of it or unfollow those people or don't follow those people at all. Because clearly that is creating some sort of reaction within your 
yourself and your body that isn't beneficial to you. So those are things that I'm always telling people, go through your feed, unfollow a bunch of people. If it's creating a negative reaction to you, you shouldn't be doing it. Just like anything you put in your life, there is going to be toxic relationships that you might develop in your life and you can have a toxic relationship with social media too. That's the one thing to kind of keep in mind. And then, you know, if there are things that are making you feel good or if they're media that you're loving to digest, then those are definitely things that you want to keep in your feed because it's something positive for you. I think the other part of knowing when you don't have a healthy relationship is checking your screen time. As silly as that is, it's so beneficial. And there are times where as a mom of like a teenager, I have definitely looked at her screen time and I'm like, girl, you're on your social media networking apps for like 20 hours, 30 hours a week. I work on social media and I'm only on there for 16 hours a week. If you find that you're use, you're spending way too much time on it and that maybe you're like, oh my God, I want to get into writing or I have this hobby I've always wanted to start. Wow. You might want to just check your screen time <laughs> just yeah. to see. Yeah. I always find it so interesting because on the other side of things, I don't like social media. Yeah. So I have gotten more into kind of the, the BBXX when I'm managing that, but that's mostly from the computer. And then Literally, I keep setting goals to go on my personal social media (laughs) and I can't. So it's very much kind of the opposite. But I think it's also important for people to remember that sometimes we don't realize when we're in a toxic relationship, be it with another person or with these apps or whatever. There's so many things that we could have a dependency on or an unhealthy relationship with. And so trying to think about it from outside of your own perspective or perhaps even asking for somebody else's opinion, but truly trying to examine it in a kind but realistic and unfiltered. Yeah, kind of way. (laughs) Kind of way, yeah. So going off of kind of that body image and the messaging we're sending to other people and to ourselves, I will ask you a question that I actually found from you, and that is what is the relationship that you desire with your body and and what advice would you give to other people to help them find their own answer? Mm. The relationship that I desire with my own body is one that feels liberated from the inside out. It's funny. I, I say that and like my entire skin is like tingling right now, but When I think about the idea of liberation and I think about what that embodiment means in my own body, to me, that means the freedom to be able to speak my truth, no matter what it is, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, the ability to know my truth, despite whatever standard society, culture, whomever might be giving me. And there's a sense of just freedom where you feel alive. And so the kind of relationship that I desire with my body is one that feels sexually liberated, um, but also intellectually and emotionally liberated as well. And one that embodies this sense of relentlessness and fire and beauty from within. You know, I just, I want to be my, I want to be my best friend. Ultimately, I, I want to have the relationship with my body where I sit with her, I can love her, I can maybe sometimes hate her because sometimes you hate your best friend, but at the end of the day, you're still each other's best friend, cheering each other on. And so that to me is the kind of relationship that I want to build with myself and my body. Now, in terms of 
giving people advice on how to build that relationship or how they can stem that relationship. I think it's ultimately about understanding what your values are. And one of my biggest values is transparency and open and honest communication. Considering that that is one of my biggest values, it's one of the things that I believe is the biggest value I can have within myself. And I guess how that translates is, can I have a beautiful, intimate relationship with my body and myself? So for other people, understand what your values are and then ask yourself, what does that actually look like? And then map that out. I like the part of getting back to what it is you value. And I think that the idea and the goal of being able to tell ourselves the things that we would tell other people, Mm -hmm. why can't we give ourselves the same advice and, and kindness that we would give to other people? I think many of us tend to look at other people in a more flattering and admiring way than we look at ourselves. And I remember I was at a studio in Berlin and I saw this girl who had very profound stretch marks. Mm. And I remember thinking like, wow, how cool does that look? She looks so beautiful. And then just being like, what? As if I would ever... You know, like think about that on my own or about myself. And so I just, from that moment on, have really tried to hone in on that and the kind of why behind it and how I can reshape that narrative and outward versus inward communication. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember, you know, it's funny when I think about, as I was describing the like liberated being, I remember being in Hawaii several years ago and seeing these beautiful Hawaiian women on the beach with their kids and they had loose skin and stretch marks and, you know, they didn't have the perfect quote unquote bikini body that society romanticizes. And I remember thinking like, I want that. I want that feeling that they have where they just, they don't care. They're so free. Here's the ocean. Here's the sand. Here's the sun. Like everything is just kissing their bodies right now. And they're happy and joyful. And here I am getting so angry about mine for no reason. And why? Because society told me I shouldn't have stretch marks. Society tells you you have to put all these creams to get rid of them. And here are these women who didn't care because they're enjoying themselves, their bodies, the sun, life. I was like, that is what I want. In Chile, they'd say like ananda. It's mm. the energy. Oh, it's the energy, yeah. It's it's For the sure. energy that people put out and that's what we admire. Oh my God. It's so much. It's not even as much about their body or whatever. It's the confidence. It's the energy. And that's also what we find most attractive. Of course. Be it, you know, about somebody else or somebody that we're sexually attracted to. It's that confidence. And I think that's harder than anything, but by far the most beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I meant to say this earlier, but when we were talking about who do you follow and how are you using social media, I thought back to somebody who told me that he had unfollowed every model mm. that he had followed on social media and how how much, I don't know if happier would be the right word, but how much better he felt after that mm. and how he actually felt healthier about whether it was his own feelings about himself and, and you know, insecurities or about women or any of that, but thought that was really cool, especially coming from 
a man to kind of yeah. hear that. And I have no doubt that many women have had the same oh experience. My God. Probably, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've had my own. Cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> Purge. Purge. This is just kind of a question I've been asking myself mm-hmm. lately. It came up in a conversation with a good friend of mine in Denver. And we were half joking, but honestly curious as well. We have the word guy that is this overarching term to refer to somebody who could be younger Mm. towards boyish but also man but doesn't really have this age range or connotation but then when we want to refer to women we were trying to think I often wonder where where do you draw the line between girl and woman and why is why is there no in between Mm. Mm. I'm 29 and I don't really refer to my friends who might range, you know, as young as 25, 26 to 35 plus, but I don't really say, oh, I know this woman. Right. Referring to, you know, my college roommate. Right, who, right, right. I, it, <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. But lady also sounds a bit weird. Right. And I remember when I was 23 and working in LA and I walked into a production house and there was this, I guess maybe by now she's a woman, but there was this girl, lady girl, (laughs) who was probably about my same age. And she made a call back and she goes, oh, there's a lady here to see you. And I just remember thinking like, lady, what? Yeah. What is this? And so me and my friend jokingly were like, well, there's guy. So there's gal. Nobody uses gal. What happened to gal? Gal's honestly a bit weird, but maybe better. Maybe we should bring back gal. So I'm just curious to hear kind of where you would draw the line or kind of how you see that. Yeah. And what you refer to other people and would like to be referred to as yourself. Hmm. I personally love being referred to as a woman. There's something strong about that. Like even when I say it's like woman, you know, yeah, it is powerful. It is casual. No, it's not casual (laughs) at all whatsoever. I don't know if there is an actual line or like a where you draw the line from like girl to lady to woman. I remember though, I guess the moment that I felt the most quote unquote woman like and um, stepped into my womanhood actually was um, when I was nursing my second daughter. And I remember this feeling that I just was like, oh my God, I've got curves post like babies. Not that like, you know, womanhood has to be defined by like a physical appearance per se, but there was this feeling that I had a deeper purpose than myself Mm -hmm. in my life. Mm -hmm. And somehow that moment, I remember like, damn, I'm a woman. (laughs) And it's funny because, you know, I had my first daughter at 21. And so I was definitely a girl with a baby. Like that's how I saw myself. Right. <laughs> I was a girl with a baby. Right. And somehow my second one, I just crossed that threshold of being a woman. And it was just this feeling that I had like this, this like wisdom that I was starting to embody or like carry within myself because I knew that life wasn't just about me anymore. And, and it wasn't necessarily just about my kids, but I just remember feeling like I've got a greater purpose than whatever I'm doing at the moment. And that to me was when I like remember feeling like I stepped into that sense of womanhood. That's when I started really kind of defining what is it that I want to do in my life as a woman. Now that I could make a stamp in this world, I'm not a girl. <laughs> like, what do I want to do? But I think for other ladies out there, really, I think the word woman is similar to like anything. And we were talking about energy earlier. It's truly an embodiment. For me, at least my definition of it, there's something about embodying a sense of life wisdom. 
where you know that you're giving it back to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like that moment you cross that threshold of womanhood because now people are looking up to you Mm -hmm. and you're like, whoa, I've gotten, I've gotten wise. (laughs) I love that kind of way you put it as having that purpose beyond yourself. Um, And one of the questions I was actually going to ask you is what is your definition of being a woman and how would it be any different if it would from being a human? Hmm. I think, um, I think they're pretty similar, but you know, I think being a woman, obviously that there's this divine feminine that you have within you and, You know, I I also believe in the divine masculine and the divine feminine in both male and female energies. But there's something about, you know, if you feel like a woman, the divine feminine is strong in you. And as far as like being a human, I actually think they're pretty much identical, you know, and I think human, woman, man, those are all labels. It's ultimately how you want to embody that sense of who you are. And ultimately, we're just, you know, spiritual beings living a human body experience, right? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. The BBXX podcast, Let's Get Intimate, is produced by Sasha Laurie in Berkeley, California. Dialogue, narrative, and content crafting by Amy Soper. Audio editing, good music vibes, and sound mixing, Daniel Herrera. You can learn more on our website or on our social media at bbxx.world. And if you believe in what we're doing, please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about. Until next time. Bye.